When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, to join us here in this place this morning, and we know that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. King Solomon had tried everything. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. King Solomon tried everything. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon should have been happy. If anyone should have been happy, Solomon should have been happy. I mean, goodness, the man was chosen by God to be king over his people Israel, to build his temple. He was blessed with untold riches, more wisdom than anyone in the world, and had accumulated for himself 700 wives and 300 concubines. Insert joke about how one wife ought to be enough for anyone. (laughs) Wink, wink. And yet even with all of this, an aged Solomon is the man who wrote in Ecclesiastes that he considered all that his hands had done and the toil that he had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, that there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All Solomon found under the sun was meaninglessness and misery. In John chapter 5, Jesus encounters the same thing. He has come to Jerusalem... And just inside one of the gates to the city, he finds a pool, sort of 
like an outdoor spa that is thought to have healing properties. And because of that reputation, this pool is surrounded by the sick, by the lame and the paralyzed. And every so often, the water in the pool gets stirred up and everyone makes a break for it. Rumor has it that if you can get into the pool while it's bubbling, you'll be healed. But of course, you have to actually get there. And there's a man in the crowd who has been suffering for so long. He's in such pain that he cannot get to the pool at all. He is lame and weak. And every time the pool bubbles, the crowd steps over and around him, blocking his way rather than helping him. Some of them get to the water, but he never does. Now, you'll notice, of course, that despite the legend, the pool remains surrounded by invalids, right? Healing doesn't actually seem to happen very often. Instead, this is a place of suffering, a place of misery, a place where everyone is trying to heal themselves and no one is succeeding. That sound familiar to you? Beth Zatha, this five porticoed pool, might as well stand in for this whole world. We live, you and I, in Beth Zatha. People stepping over and around each other, people stepping on each other, trying desperately to find a way to make things right, to make their lives okay. I'm They're trying, and I'm going to use a theological word here, they're trying to justify themselves. Beth Zatha is also the world that Solomon lived in, isn't it? It's the world under the sun. Solomon tried everything, every possible route to these magical waters. He tried everything available to him during his lifetime. Money, power, sex, all the money. All the power, all the sex, a thousand wives and concubines. He tried frivolous entertainment. He tried auspicious achievements, and none of it worked. And we might readily imagine that if Solomon had had access to them, he would have tried all of our more modern routes to self-satisfaction. The most popular current route to those supposedly healing waters is to proclaim yourself God. To take the mantle of creator for yourself. So Solomon, if he were alive today, might have experimented far outside the bounds of God's created order. Creating his own identity as he saw fit. Unique and idiosyncratical sexual, gender, and even racial identities. Solomon would have expressed himself in myriad ways. Looking desperately for peace and satisfaction anywhere He might have found it. Could any of that have saved his soul? Would there have been any redemption there? Now we know for a fact that he tried out what is thought of today as the height of cosmopolitanism. Picking and choosing from the world's religious smorgasbord to create a made-to-order faith. With every new wife from every surrounding nation, Solomon incorporated her gods and their temples into Israel's life of worship. Yahweh was no longer God alone. He was one among many. After all, who was Solomon? 
a 21st century person might ask to impose his beliefs on anyone. It was all you do you. Love is love. And whatever route to personal healing works. But none of the roots worked. There was no healing. No redemption. All was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon would have fit right in, despite everything he had going for him, with the invalids around the pool at Beth Zatha, desperately searching for something, anything, to make everything right. But nothing was right. None of those avenues worked. Not then, not now. The way to healing is blocked. Beth Zatha, though, on that faithful Sabbath day, was still overrun with misery, suffering, and death. And yet, and yet, it is into this world of pain and suffering, of impotent casting about for healing, and a mad rushing, stampeding over anyone and anything in your way for something that can't ultimately deliver what it promises. It is into this world that Jesus comes. Do you want to be made well? He asks. It's enough to make me want to cry. Picture it. Beth Zatha is this seething mass of humanity, struggling and failing to heal itself, consuming and destroying itself in the process. It is tearing itself apart and rushing headlong into oblivion and into that, down into that, Jesus comes. Do you want to be made well? That's the question that we're going to be asking these kids who come this morning to be baptized. But we're really asking them something even more profound than that. We're asking them, do you want to live in a whole new world? That's what Jesus is offering. Nothing less. And that's the question for you this morning, too. And don't underestimate what's going on here today. This is Inauguration Day into a whole new world. This place, this world outside these windows, this is Beth Zatha, a place of suffering, misery, and death. And here are these kids. And as long as they think it's up to them to find the right route to healing, there will be no escape. But we bring them here today to proclaim good news. They don't have to hope to find some magical pool one day. They don't have to hope or wonder if salvation might come from there being a different color or gender or richer or more successful or whatever. They don't have to navigate the clutching arms and grasping claws of this world. Because here comes Jesus. Baptism is the entrance into a whole new world. 
a covenant relationship with God through the kept promises of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the gospel under the water to share in Christ's death, out of the water to share in his resurrection. These children today and we who remember our baptisms, we're going to be right there along with these kids. We will all be put under the water today. The child who would have had to save himself is put to death here this morning. But then each one of them is raised up into new life, a new life in Jesus Christ. And so will you be. That's good news for you today. And that's exactly what happened for that crippled man at Bethzatha. There he was, sitting around the pool, suffering in a world of sin, suffering and corruption. But then all of a sudden, a new world appears. Jesus. In him is health and resurrection. Do you want out of this sin-broken world? Do you want to be part of a new world in Christ? Do you want to be made well? There is only one way. Die. Give up all your attempts to save yourself, to justify yourself, to make yourself okay. Go under the water, but not the bubbling pool at Bethzatha. Notice that Jesus does not help the man to the pool. He tells him to get up and walk. Because it's not some bubbling spring that you need. It is Jesus Christ. It's the water of baptism into Christ's death and resurrection. It's important also to see that Jesus doesn't somehow affirm the man. He doesn't say, you do you, love is love, or whatever route to personal healing works. That would just leave the man by the pool. To this man, affirmation is not good news. To him, affirmation is a death sentence. Because this man knows what Solomon found out. That salvation cannot be found under the sun. It can only be found in Christ Jesus. How much better than to hear, do you want to be made well? And so we put the question to you right now. Do you want to be made well? Then come and die, but not to the eternal death to which affirmation inexorably leads. Come and die a death in the waters of baptism that has a guaranteed resurrection on the other side. Come and die with us here at these waters and be reborn. So that's my good news invitation to you this morning. Do you feel like you are in the writhing crowd at Bethzatha? Have you been exhausted by your efforts to save yourself? Have you tried everything? Are you like Solomon, having finally come to the decision that nothing under the sun will satisfy? That all the altars you set up to gods who are not gods have failed you? All the money, all the power, all the sex, all the beauty, all the popularity, all the accomplishments. St. Paul saw that the men of first century Athens worshipped all of these gods and more. They were just like Solomon, trying everything 
They even, to hedge their bets, had an altar set up to an unknown God. Maybe that God could make them well. Maybe that God could make them okay, could heal them. Paul had a message for those men. This is recorded in Acts chapter 17. He says, let me tell you the name of the God who can heal you. The name of the God who can save you. I know him. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Well, listen, you sufferers this morning. Listen, you sinners. Listen, you exhausted people worn out from your striving to make everything okay. Have I got a deal for you? (laughs) Come with us. Come to the font. Go under the water and die. But be born again. As Jesus told the Pharisee Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In a minute, during the baptismal ceremony, you're going to have an opportunity to join us in saying the Apostles' Creed. And as you say it, With us, you'll have the opportunity for the first time or for the hundredth to announce that you want to be made well, that you want to live in a whole new world, that you believe and trust in God the Father, that you were made by him and for him and in his image. You'll have the opportunity to announce that you believe and trust in God the Son, that Jesus Christ's saving work, his body broken and blood shed on the cross for your sins is sufficient for you. And that when he asks if you want to be made well, your answer is a resounding yes. You'll have the opportunity to announce that you believe and trust in God the Holy Spirit. That after Jesus rose on the third day, defeating death forever and sealing for all time your right standing with God, He left the Holy Spirit to be God with you, promising to never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. Make these announcements with us. Believe them to be true. Die to yourself. Give yourself to him and Jesus will make you new, raising you to new life with him forever. As we prepare to celebrate this new life for these seven children and remember the new life that Christ has won for us, whether you are reaffirming your faith this morning or indeed coming to faith for the first time right now, I'd like to take a moment to pray over you. Now, this is a prayer that we're going to pray for these kids here in a minute, but it's a prayer that I want to take to God right now for you. So let's quiet our hearts in prayer. Almighty and everlasting Father, in your great mercy you saved Noah and his family in the ark from the destruction of the flood, prefiguring the sacrament of holy baptism. Look mercifully upon these your servants, everyone in this room right now. Turn them to you. Once again or for the first time, 
Wash and sanctify them through your Holy Spirit, that they may be delivered from destruction and received into the ark of Christ's church. And being steadfast in faith, joyful through hope and rooted in love, they may pass through the turbulent floods of this troublesome world and come into the land of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.